Thank you for listening to Bellwether's Wednesday night service every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. sharp. Join us. imagine or can't really fathom what it did cost to have our sin on the cross. But as we move towards Good Friday and, and move towards Easter, uh, we want to we remember that. We want to know that. We want to know it in our hearts so that we'd love you more. We'd serve you more. We'd walk with you more. We'd be your light to a world that needs saving. So I do pray that this church, Bellwether, as we walk together to the cross, we know what it means more for our hearts, for this community, for our city, for the world. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Thank you that you are the great physician, the great healer. Thank you that you've given us the spirit as a guarantee of the home that awaits us, the body that uh, we will have that we can live forever and ever with you and we can start that life here now. May we do that. May we believe that. May we trust that. May we live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Y'all can have a seat. Thank you, Tracy and Tyler. And so Wednesday night, springtime, I'm blinded by that light, uh, used to it being dark. And... Our Wednesday night time is really a time uh, for two things. One, it is a time to equip you uh, with more Scripture, more knowledge of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to be in that chapter, uh, pretty much all of it tonight. Uh, It is also Wednesday night's a time to celebrate what God is doing uh, in our family here, uh, the family we call Bellwether. So as I mentioned before, uh, we do celebrate uh, David and Cassie uh, being back. Uh, And I have talked to them. I really want them to share some pictures of their trip to Israel. We celebrate Gavin Rowan. They went to Greece, them being back. And we celebrate people who are coming into uh, our family Diane, if you don't know Diane, she joined Sunday, and I want you all to get to know her and welcome her. And then in two weeks' time, Tracy and uh, her lesser half, sorry, uh, Caleb are joining uh, Bellwether too. So we really want to build Wednesday nights the time to equip and to grow and to celebrate what God is doing uh, in this family. But tonight, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, and I want to talk about relationships, but really some relationships that we don't think about. One, our relationship with our, our own bodies, like, you know, this, this body, arms, legs, head, feet. I mean, we never really think about that, but actually we're in relationship with our bodies all the time, uh, particularly in this season we call Lent where everybody's giving something up. I saw, I'm not going to call her out because uh, she probably wouldn't like that. She's not here, but somebody in Bellwether who's given up caffeine, sugar, uh, some other things I'm not going to mention, but like all of this good stuff for uh, these 40 days, I'm like, man, that is, uh, that is impressive, and that's something I couldn't do. Uh, we think about our bodies as, uh, as we work out, uh, 
you know, me and Caleb are going to try to play basketball tomorrow night and, uh, and stay in shape. Uh, we think about our bodies uh, over the last couple months, you know, it seems like everybody's been sick. I was telling somebody, I've been so used to giving like, you know, because not shaking hands, because picking up germs. So even though we don't think about this relationship with our bodies, we are in relationship with this body all the time in wanting it to be well. And the truth is we're fighting uh, this losing battle, uh, unfortunately, because, um, you know, we don't, uh, especially if we're young, realize it, but I'm realizing more and more, you know, I'm... uh, uh, the best days are now behind, and I'm moving towards, uh, you know, the hair, Linda and the boys came to see me this afternoon, and Linda's like, Logan, what color is daddy's hair? He said, uh, gray. So, uh, you know, I'm like, uh, even Logan sees that, and there are more lines, and, you know, the waistline is uh, a struggle daily, and then we're getting sick more and more. So we, we are fighting this losing battle with our bodies. We're going to talk about relationship with our body. We're going to talk about... Uh, our relationship with our actions. We don't think we're in a relationship with actions, but, but try to think about it. Like, we, we want to do good, and we want to uh, do good things. We want to act right. So we have a relationship with what we do. Paul's going to talk about this. And then our relationship with one another. That's kind of when we think about relationships, we think about in relationship with one another. Paul hits on all of these and how these relationships are transformed in Jesus Christ. Uh, and what he has done for us. So let's, let's start 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read uh, beginning verse 1 through verse 5. He says, For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, If indeed by putting it on we may be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now y'all may not know what I'm talking about, y'all may not have a clue of what Paul is talking about. But it's something that we all struggle with. And that is this body of ours that is breaking down uh, slowly or rapidly, yet surely. And so Paul is saying, man, this is something we all struggle with. That we have these bodies that are, are broken. That even though we have Christ, cross, died for our sins, resurrected, we're still living in these bodies that get sick, that break down, that don't look as good as we want. And, and so what do, we, what do we do about that if we're in Christ? Paul gives the church in Corinth, which is in Greece, Gavin and Rowan, and us this assurance. And he compares our bodies now to a tent. A tent. Paul actually made tents. He was a, he was a tent maker. And the people at Corinth would have gotten this because Corinth was on the coast, and a lot of ships would come in there, and they would sell tents to these sailors so that they could like be on top of the ship and in the wind and the rain, uh, they would use these tents as they sailed across the Aegean uh, or the Mediterranean. So Paul's saying, our earthly body is like a tent. It, it's weak. I mean, it sometimes protects from the storms, but really it's, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fail. But then we have, he says, a building 
from God, a house not made with hands, uh, eternal in the heavens. And what he's saying is that we all have these, well, these perfect bodies. So the body you always dreamed about, uh, to look, to feel, uh, it does await you. It awaits us. Now, that's what the resurrection means. It is uh, the resurrection of the soul, and he's going to mention that here in a second. But it's also the resurrection of our bodies, and that we get these new bodies uh, forever and ever uh, with Jesus, with the Lord, with one another. And he says, we are in these tents now, but we will have this building. And he, he talks about, you know, we groan. Does anybody groan about their bodies? I do. Thank you. Some eyes. He says that, you know, at least twice there I see, we groan. We groan in this, um, in this tent, in this body, being burdened. Uh, and he actually says sometimes uh, we may not be found naked. Now, he's not meaning naked as we would think of it. What that really means is that when we die in Christ and go to heaven, our soul goes first. And he's saying that it, it is kind of like being naked and that one day, okay, y'all may have never heard this, but when Christ returns and if we are with him, uh, our souls will meet up with our bodies and then they will be fully clothed and we will have these new bodies that will never be sick, never grow old. Uh, it is this, this building that Paul is talking about. Then in verse 5 he said, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Uh, some of y'all, maybe all of us, have probably never thought of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the future promise. Uh, you know, we think of the Holy Spirit, we sang the Holy Spirit, hey, you're, you're welcome here. I taught on the Holy Spirit two weeks ago. You know, a lot of Christians still don't have this really good understanding about the Holy Spirit because we see Jesus, we think of God the Creator, and the Holy Spirit's here, but, you know, it's like, well, I don't see Him. He lives in our hearts. But He's also, it's like a down payment on our future home, our future home in heaven, uh, our future home in the new bodies. Uh, and our Holy Spirit promises us that. Now, if you are, um, and I think all of you are, but if you are saved, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that is the first work, the beginning of this new life, which is a new body in Christ, with Christ. And that Holy Spirit, He is our guarantee of what we will have. So I say this to y'all because, man, I mean, I, I've really been struggling. Uh, a lot of people that I love and care about have been, uh, have been getting cancer. Uh, and I've, uh, you know, cancer is a, a disease that uh, both of my, uh, my dad's parents died of cancer. And uh, I remember my grandmother, and I mean, her body literally, you know, whittled away. And she's one of the strongest uh, believers that I ever knew. And she passed early. She went too soon. She went to be with the Lord. And so I've been thinking about this, about this struggle with these broken bodies and talking to people who are battling cancer and knowing that it's in their bodies. And this, this should, I mean, I know we want to be healed, we want to be well, but this should give uh, us hope. Uh, and I was talking with one uh, buddy who's struggling with cancer and he said, you know, I've just said, you know, exactly what Jesus said in Gethsemane. Not my will, Lord, your will, your will. And we have to trust that the Holy Spirit's in us. And that's that down payment on the new home and the new body. 
Paul goes on, let's read verse 6 through uh, verse 10. He says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now the first couple of verses of that passage talk about, again, our relationship with the body. And it says, because we know these things, we need to be of good courage. Now, I don't know how many of you have courage that you have the Holy Spirit in you. I don't know how many of you have courage that you're going to have a new body, but we should. I mean, Paul tells us this. God's Word tells us this. That regardless of our afflictions, physical afflictions, bodily afflictions, regardless of cancer, regardless of heart disease or heart attacks, uh, regardless of infirmities, regardless of mental disabilities, regardless if we can't talk right, uh, regardless if, if we can't walk or in a wheelchair, we can have courage that we will walk. Not only we walk, we'll fly. That we will have bodies that will be fully healed and we can walk with courage. However, Paul says you've got to do something and we don't do it. We have to walk by faith, not by sight. How many of y'all is it hard to walk by faith, not by sight? I pretty much walk by sight. Thank you, Brother Joe. I mean, I walk by sight just about in everything. I mean, I walk by sight uh, as a pastor in church, in services. I walk by sight in my life. Scripture says, walk by faith. What's the faith in? Faith in the new body. Faith in the new life. Faith in the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of new life, a new body. Faith that we will be healed. Faith that Jesus will come, maybe in our life, but if not, we'll come with him back to this world. Faith, not by sight. The only way I believe we can walk by faith, not by sight, is y'all are doing what you're doing right now. You're here. You're here. There's a lot of competing interests, especially springtime. Uh, you know, baseball, softball, and family thing. But you're here. And you've got to be in God's word reminding ourselves over and over again we need to walk by faith not by sight not by what we see maybe in our work maybe with our families what we see in God's word what we see by his Holy Spirit walk by faith not by sight if, you, if nothing else happens to you tonight I hope that you have uh, a little bit like a just a a little bit of an inkling as you walk out of here hey I want to walk by faith not by sight but it takes repetition Discipline. It's the reason disciple and discipline are the same root word, to walk by faith and not by sight. Then it gets into relationship with our actions. What I was talking about, that we want to do good, we want to be good, but we fail. There are only two verses, I, I think, in this chapter that really deal um, explicitly with what we do, but they're pretty profound, pretty powerful verses. Nine and Nine and ten. I'm going to read them again. So whether we are at home, and at home would be with Jesus, whether it's in heaven or when he comes back here and we're with him, or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
How many of us, too, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you want to, how many of us daily make it our aim to please Christ? I struggle with that. I don't think in all my actions, and do, hey, does this please Christ? I do some of the time, but my life uh, is not totally wrapped around with, does this please Christ? However, it can get that way by the Holy Spirit. We can think all our thoughts, all our actions, does this please Jesus? Because... And I really want to be clear on this because a lot of Christians don't even know about this verse 10 because we're going to be judged. Now, you're saying, well, judged. Uh, first off, we don't like that word. You know, we don't want to be judged. Uh, second off, we're like, I thought we weren't judged because, you know, what Jesus did on the cross. So, so I'm, I'm clean. I'm free. I'm good to go. The judgment's already taken place. You know, it's done. Yes. But there is uh, what's and we've talked about this in, uh, in small groups, Bible studies. It's what Christians and the church calls a second judgment. There are two judgments. Let me be clear about this, okay? The first judgment did happen on the cross. And that is our saving judgment. It's what Tracy's saying about. Our sin on the cross, trust in Jesus, we're saved, done. But Scripture tells us in this very verse, there's a second judgment. That we come before the Lord, so I don't know how to look, but let's say right you know, at, the, uh, at the stepping stones of the pearly gates, or right before we enter heaven, and we face the judgment seat of Christ, and Paul breaks it down so that each one, each one of us, may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, our actions, whether good or evil. I hope that you get this because this is like uh, really profound, really big. Think about it. All of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our lives, what is done in the body, whether good or evil. It, um, I mean, look, I, I, this, this verse keeps me up at night. I think this verse should keep us all up at night. shouldn't scare us. Jesus did the work on the cross. However, we'll stand before the Lord and give an account. Now, I don't know what this will look like. Does uh, anybody here watch Lost? I used to love that show, Lost. Jeremy, and you, yep. Uh, Pierce loves it. There's a scene in Lost, uh, character Sawyer, and uh, he gets in a room, and the room is you know, square-shaped, and there are all these video images all around it. So it, it freaks him out. But for me, I imagine this as you're coming before the Lord, and it's like he sits you down, and you're in this room, and all of a sudden all these videos of, of your life, and you're seeing it. So when I think of that, man, I'm, I'm really brought to my knees because there are things on those videos that, that I'm not going to like, um, things that I have not done yet that I won't like. And I, I think one of the reasons we stand before Christ is that we're humbled in how he accepts us and loves us, and at that point we're going to want to worship him more for all he has done to save us and accept us and bring us into heaven. And we're just going to love him more and more. But he's, we're going to give an account. Now to be fair, and again I'm really trying to be clear with this verse, this passage, because a lot of Christians don't know it, and the Christians that do uh, may not be as clear on it. Again, Christ saves us in that first judgment on the cross. We're saved. Now some folks, there's debate about what this second judgment is. Some would say it is about rewards. So that what you've done, you know, you come in, and it is how God rewards you. So, 
for example, if I'm up and then Billy Graham's up and Billy Graham's, you know, going in standing for the judgment seat, he's going to get more rewards for his life. Okay? Others would say, well, it's really not about rewards. It's really evidence that you're truly, you're truly saved. That, you know, you look at your life and God would say, all right, you claim me, you said you're saved, but look, I'm not seeing any fruit. You probably want to know what I think, one or the other. I lean more towards, and this, you know, it's not meant to sound like I'm seeking rewards, but I think it's more about, I try to read it as, as, as simply and clearly as possible, and it sounds like Paul is talking about, so each one may receive what is due um, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Another reason I think about it in this way of rewards, it's not necessarily rewards of earthly things, uh, riches, wealth, prizes, but there is a hierarchy of angels uh, because we have, uh, we have, that may have been an angel coming out, we have uh, in scripture, you know, there is, there's a hierarchy of angels, there's Gabriel who came to Mary, uh, there's Michael, so there are different, you know, strata of angels that are given power and dominion. So it could be, and I, look, I don't know about heaven, but I, I've always thought about, well, this is what you've done, so you know, you're in, you know, your reward is, is more authority in the angelic realms. I'm not saying that for sure. I am saying that I do think it is, if I read it literally, so that each one may receive what is due. I do believe if we're saved and if there is evidence and that God will say, come and enter good and faithful servant, but we'll stand... And we'll have to give an account of what we've done, good or evil. So I just want to be clear about that passage. And some of y'all, y'all may have heard it before. I'm happy to talk about that uh, and have conversation about that afterwards because it, uh, it is a big deal. It's a weighty deal that we'll all stand before Christ and give an account. So our relationship with our actions, the bottom line is we should live our lives to please Christ. And then the rest of it will take care of you know, itself. I think we like to think in terms of what's going to happen in heaven, but it's a mystery. We don't fully know, except what the Bible tells us. But if we live our lives, as verse 9 says, to please him, it's going to work out one way or the other. But there has been that debate whether it is rewards or whether it is evidence of our salvation. Let's move on. Uh, The last part of this chapter talks about our relationships uh, with other people which is what we really think about when, when we say the word relationships. Verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. For in our right mind it is for you. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might, not, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. All right, so anybody here have complicated relationships? Anybody here have broken relationships? Got a few of those too. 
anybody here that they struggle to forgive somebody else? Yeah. Um, anybody here that they're like, I really hope I don't see them in heaven. I mean, you know, real, let's get real. And, uh, you know, I'll say, okay, we'll have a cup of coffee in heaven. But really, let's, uh, you know, I, I hope I don't find you there. Uh, that is, uh, that's, that's our brokenness. Holy Spirit should change that. We have to let the Holy Spirit change that. We have to do what y'all are doing right now. Coming before the Lord. Looking into God's Word. Coming to worship. Getting on the altar and praying. Saying, dear God, help me with these feelings in these relationships. Uh, Cleanse me. Change me. And Paul uh, gives us good instructions in Scripture. First off, uh, do we persuade others with our lives? At verse uh, 11. If we know the fear of the Lord, and to me the fear of the Lord is that I'll stand before him. Again, that's heavy. Uh, that makes me scared. Uh, that, uh, that you're going to stand before the God of creation, the God of salvation, and give an account. Knowing that, do we persuade others with our life, that our life has changed, that we live a different way, that we try to please Christ? Uh, we all boast. We boast about something. We may boast about our kids. I know Joe's proud of his boys. We may boast about our experiences. The Carols could easily boast about, hey, we went to Israel. Uh, we may boast about our church. Look at this grand building. Uh, we may boast about our talents. Trace could say, look, you know, that's thing. We can boast about things, but Paul says here, do we boast about outward appearances or what's in our heart? What do you mean, boast about your heart? You could say, uh, well, look, I'd say it uh, as, as clear as I can. Uh, my heart is vile and wicked. And thank God and Jesus that he's come in and he's cleansing it and he's renewing it. We boast about our heart. Um, I find uh, repentance daily uh, is very good for the soul. Uh, and it does change the heart. Saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't forgive this person on my own. Would you help me forgive? God, I can't pray for this person. Would you help me pray for them? God, and not just pray that uh, you know, they would be okay. Pray that they're blessed. God, can you help me do that? Spirit, can you help me do that? So we boast about what God is doing in our hearts. Do we say the love of Christ now controls us? Look at verse, that's verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. It's a powerful couple of words. For the love of Christ now controls us. That changes us when he controls us. He died for all, verse 15, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do we want relationships to change? Do we want relationships to improve? Some. Look, others may not. Paul had many broken relationships. But if we live not for ourselves, but for him, for Jesus, who died for us, our relationship for our heart will change. Our relationship with this world will change. I'm preaching this Sunday, and I'm kind of going over it, but it ties to this very verse. Because, you know, we either do one of two things with Jesus. We either sell him or we serve him. And here's what I mean. You know, selling Jesus, it's like if, if any of y'all are in stocks or buying and selling stocks, and you buy a stock and it's doing you good, and then if it's not doing you good anymore, you'll sell it. Well, Judas, because I'm teaching on Judas, I mean, he, he sold Jesus. And we say, we'd never betray Jesus. We'd never. Well... I mean, a lot of times, I mean, especially in uh, this culture, this context, I mean, we'll sell Jesus. I mean, we'll talk Jesus if it benefits us, if it profits us. 
If it doesn't, we won't. Or do we just serve him? Do we say we live for him? We're all either selling or serving Jesus. Do you sell him? Do you serve him? And then closing out this, uh, this chapter, verse 19, talking about relationships, look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Could you do that? Yes. Can we do this? Yes. You're like, what do you mean? Do you see one another? Do you see people in a fleshly way? Uh, they hurt me. They betrayed me. Uh, they've stabbed me in the back. Uh, they're not good. I don't want to associate with them. Or do you see them as spiritual beings that will live on for eternity? Do we pray for people's salvation? Do we pray for people to come to know the Lord? Do we pray that the Holy Spirit works in their hearts? Do we see people? And this is interesting because, you know, a lot of times we think about the flesh and the spirit in our own lives. But we see other people by either the flesh or the spirit. Paul goes on, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus, it's a powerful verses, he is a new creation. If you're in Christ, you're new. You're a new person. The Holy Spirit has begun that in your hearts. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I'll stop right there and say that last verse for closing. But reconciliation, y'all have all heard that word. That is when there is brokenness, whether parties or individuals, and it's coming to the table or coming together and saying, hey, can we make this right? Uh, why should we ever do that? Why don't we just say, just, and. I might see in heaven, or I might not. Let's just, why should we even work towards reconciliation? Because of what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus, you know, Jesus got what we deserve, and we get what he deserved. Here's what I mean by that. You know, because of my opinion, and this is kind of the first step you've got to get in moving to the cross and Christianity and the Holy Spirit is... My heart's vile and wicked. And so I deserve the death. Yet Jesus took it. Talked about it this Sunday, the cup. Jesus took it. Not only for me, but for y'all. And I could name you by names, but I won't. Not only for y'all, but for this world. For the world. He took all the sin and all the evil in the world. And that cup that night said, God, I'll take it. He got, he took what we deserve. We get what he deserves, the love of the Father, a home, a building, the body, a life, a new heart, new creation, to live, to live with one another, so that we can, in humility, in serenity, and in confidence, say, hey, I want to, I want to try to make things right. Now, it may not always be received, but we can take that step in our relationships, in humility, in his love, in his grace, even if we don't want to. Jesus gives us the power to.
to heal relationships, which heals our heart, which will heal the world. Jeremy and I were talking uh, this morning uh, about, uh, you know, about politics and, and government. Boyd, you and I talk about that all the time. You know, both of us are in agreement. You know, the problems of the world, government can't answer because the problems of the world are based in the human heart. And you've got you to gotta get to the heart of things. Uh, you know, I love history, and I'm reading this book. A hundred years ago, World War I started this summer, which led to uh, over millions of deaths, and that people call it just a wasted war. I mean, just, I mean, uh, Great Britain, England, I mean, you pretty much lost a generation of men in that war. And I'm fascinated by it because it was really pride of some leaders' hearts that led a continent, and then the U.S., into war. And if just those hearts could change and be reconciled to one another. Now we can learn from history, but most of all we learn from this history, the story of Christ, that it does begin with the heart. And it does saying, hey, mine is not good, but thank God Jesus has saved me and saved us. And we can reconcile. The reason we can do that, one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I would love for our church to memorize this verse. I'd love for you to know it. I'd love for you to go to it. This is the gospel really encapsulated in a verse. I mean, we think it's John 3.16, which it is. There's so many. But I love this verse. Look what he says. For our sake, for your sake, our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. If you're in Christ, Diane, Caleb, Joe, if you're in Christ, you are now the righteousness of God. How beautiful is that? How wonderful is that? That is the good news. How did that happen? Because he took the Son, Christ, who knew no sin, and he became sin. He took it all on so that in Jesus we would become God's righteousness, God's love. God's family. That is what we have. And I'll close with this and uh, we'll have a time of prayer. But, I, you know, we, we go through our lives and, uh, and, and we struggle with, with physical ailments. Uh, we struggle with relational ailments. Uh, we struggle uh, with unforgiveness in our heart. And th- those, are, those, are, those are big things. And I'm not saying they're going to be healed in one night or one day. I'm saying they can. I'm saying they can begin when we really start knowing what Jesus has done, what he took on, what he gives us. The spirit is a guarantee. And it's not just a a spirit for serenity or wisdom. It very much is that, a guarantee of a new body, of a new life, of a new home, uh, of a new family. uh, And that it's all going to be good. I mean, because of Jesus, we're on the winning side. Uh, We just need to realize that. Uh, We know the end. And it's good. It's going to be okay. And we have the Spirit now to help us, to heal us, to change us, to transform us. So I pray you know Him tonight. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, this beautiful night. Thank you for this beautiful church, your home uh, that you lead. And I do pray we would uh, continue to, to look into your word, know it more. And in knowing it more, we'd know uh, what you've done for us in giving us a new heart, uh, being a new creation in Christ, uh, giving us new relationships, uh, giving us the power to heal old relationships, 
Uh, give us the power to, to walk uh, in boldness with our head held high. Uh, because when you see us, you don't see our flaws or our warts or our broken body. You see Jesus. Uh, that we can have serene confidence and peace uh, and humility. Uh, humility not as a, a weak thing, but as a strong thing. And be calm and be courageous. I pray you'd keep growing that life in each of us individually and the life of this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.